All right, guys, it is time to dig into what it looks like to truly suffer. Sounds like a joyful one, right? Let's check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around because we're going to laugh and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. We are at war. I don't know if you feel it. I don't know if you are sensing an uptick in pressure, in division. Sometimes it feels really subtle. Sometimes it just feels like a like a constant, um, just a constant push. But sometimes I take a minute to kind of gain perspective and look back at where we were and where we are now and how much ground we've lost. And it's staggering in a lot of ways. And you have to kind of dig in and dig deep for encouragement and for that perspective, that drive to keep pushing forward, to keep fighting, as it feels like the walls are kind of closing in around, right? Recently, more and more frequently, I'm having conversations or hearing of conversations where people are specifically with this jab being forced to their breaking point, being pushed up against their wall. And, you know, we've said, we've said this before, I talked about it on a a different podcast that we all have a place, a threshold where I will fight until I will hold the line until I will, you know, stay true to my values until and I recognize more and more that very few people are until dot 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 with nothing on the other side of that sentence most of us are until it gets uncomfortable until they threaten my job until i have to homeschool my kid until they require it at college right there seems to be this threshold where i just i will hold my values i will not compromise until and i would encourage you to evaluate ahead of time that until because it always catches us off off guard and I have to tell you I don't think I have an until oftentimes you don't know you have an until until you've reached it Um, and I am taking a moment to pause and you know listen to these conversations and these people that are I've put it off as long as I could put it off they're really putting pressure on I'm predominantly hearing this at in workplace environments or college for example where you know I just I don't know what you want me to do because I if I'm going to keep my job then I I have to take this job and again looking at this worldly issue through an eternal perspective or through just the lens of scripture we're going to be faced with this again right? We're, this is a conditioning of our spirit. This is a conditioning of our, our resolve. Where's our until? The enemy wants to know right now. 
to give us a little test. I absolutely believe we as the church are walking in a massive trial right now. Do we have faith in God? Do we have faith in science? Do we have faith in humanity? Do we have faith in our people, our leaders, our politicians, our policies, our president, even our former president? (laughs) Do we have faith in God or is our faith in idolship, idol worship? And it's, it's making me pause and really recognize that We're going to be asked as the church to take the mark of the beast, right? And I don't mean to go down this really dark path, but this is a really tricky thing to talk about and navigate. We are, I don't believe that we are there yet, that this, this is what we're talking about. I do not believe that the jab is the mark of the beast, but there's no question that it is a test and it is a conditioning the church to accept it because for whatever, for safety, for the greater good, for your neighbor, for your grandma, for your job, for your this, for your that. And the reason why I've, I've, you know, to go back to the beginning of this, where we were and where we are now and how far we've come, how much we've had to already compromise on and how much we've given up, how much ground we've given up. And I mean, we as Americans, but also we as the church. I just find it really interesting to speak about um, we as Americans, that if you fly an American flag now, if you have one on your car, let's say, or if you fly one in your yard, you are automatically a conservative Republican. And it's just so interesting because patriotism never used to be a partisan thing. It never used to be something that was claimed by one party over another. Patriotism has all but vanished. And I have to say, I had this conversation with my mom a couple of years ago, maybe even two years ago, not that long ago. She's very, very patriotic, always has been. And she's from a generation where most of the men that she knows, including her brother and some of her closest friends, were sent by their country to fight a war, Vietnam War, that wasn't favorable, right? It, was, it wasn't something that was cheered on. And and her father also fought, my grandfather, in World War II. So she has roots in patriotism, in the cost and the sacrifice and the fear of the sacrifice of fighting for this country, right? Of what it looks like to um, give something real up, to to hold on to what was fought for so long ago for us, and something that we take for such granted, <laughs> take so much for granted, which is our freedom, our liberty. And now you're mocked. And you're certainly a conservative if you even talk about freedom and liberty. And what I find so ironic in this moment in history is we're so entrenched in in freedom and liberty. It's so ingrained in who we are that we can mock people who who want to defend it and uphold it. That we can care We are so taken care of and so free and so blessed and so privileged in this country that we can spite the forefathers who gave us those very freedoms and liberties. We can accuse the very system that protects that. We can 
challenge and try to tear down and tear apart the people who stand for that. That's how blessed and privileged we are in this country, that we can be so spoiled and ungrateful, that we can have absolutely no frame of reference for our own privilege in that. So this is what's so funny and ironic also about the the greater conversation about white privilege and critical race theory and all of these various things is we're, we're, we should feel ashamed. We're, we're in this place where we're shaming each other over. You should feel ashamed over your skin color. You should feel ashamed over your privilege when the reality is we're only able to have such an insane conversation because of our collective privilege in this country, because of the people who fought and died and then were forgotten on Memorial Day by our own vice president. If you didn't catch that, our dear friend, Miss Harris, posted a picture of herself on Memorial Day and said, enjoy your long weekend. No mention of the sacrifice of the many, many generations of men and women who gave their life to fight for her to stand in that position. No mention. Very disrespectful. That is privilege given to her by off the deaths of countless men and women. We're all privileged. We're so privileged we can, excuse my French, bitch and moan about whether we should be using natural gas or drilling or oil or wind and electric, you know, wind and water and different alternatives. Like we, we can, we're so privileged we can have those kinds of conversations because we're not worried, generally speaking, about where our next meal is going to come from. We're so privileged that we can whine about our unemployment benefits running out or drying up, or we can even have a conversation about a universal basic income because we're so freaking privileged and blessed in this country and we've lost sight of these things and because of that because of the nature of this conversation and I'll even say I wanted to say this too that we can have a president we can have our first African-American president stand in that position having been duly elected and say we have a racist country what the, the irony of this is just, it's not lost on me. I hope it's not lost on you. I hope you're not falling into the pit of despair of perhaps I am overly privileged because of blah, blah, blah. Of course you are. Of course we are. Absolutely. Of course we are. But not one more than another. We are overwhelmingly privileged and blessed in this country. All of us, each of us. And we need to go back to understanding that, defending that, fighting for that, and, and not taking it for granted. We are so blessed. We all have privilege being in this country, being Americans. And because of that, because we are so blessed, and because we have the luxury of being ungrateful for the very freedoms and liberties to fly whatever flag, to be whoever you want to be, to declare yourself a gender that doesn't exist or a gender that goes against your own biology. These, these are all things you are free to do in this country. You have the liberty to do it. Because of that position of blessing, just the heaps and mounds of blessing that have been bestowed upon this country and each and every one of us in this country, we have so far to fall. We have lost 
sight of what it really means to be burdened or to be suffering for our faith, for our values. Now, to me, these aren't your values or these aren't your principles if they're to be compromised at any point. I actually was just reading a novel. On occasion, I read (laughs) a novel for fun. It's been taking me quite a while to get through this last one just because I rarely read for fun. But it's called All the Light That We Cannot See, I believe is the title of it. And I was reading it at the swimming pool, and it's about World War II and um, told from several perspectives. And there was a young cadet in uh, Nazi Germany in this particular chapter, and it's historical fiction. And uh, he, they have pulled a Jewish prisoner, uh, or I should say this Jewish prisoner, according to the narrative, has escaped. And so they pull him into the school where they're training up these cadets for... Um, the German army, and they tie him to a pole, and it's 2 a.m. and freezing cold, and they bring all the students out, and they give each student a bucket of freezing cold water, and they require that he throw, they throw the bucket on this uh, Jewish prisoner, and one after another, they do it, and they, the story is being told through the perspective of, obviously, one of these individuals, And when it is his turn, although he is very conflicted and knows it's wrong, he does it because he knows the cost to himself if he doesn't. He knows what it will mean if he doesn't do it. And the chapter ends where his friend, who has already been beaten many, many times for defying the teachers, the Nazi soldiers that are uh, educating these children, The friend is given the bucket and he pours the bucket on the ground and the chapter ends. And of course, you know what likely happens to that young boy as he pours the water on the ground. Of course, that's historical fiction, but we know that's not lacking in this world. There are places, if you follow uh, what's happening in communist China, I read accounts every day of people who are suffering for their faith Not necessarily just Christianity, although that's a popular one to suffer for under communism, for their values and their principles. And let me tell you, you don't know you have a faith, a value, or a principle until you're willing to truly suffer to maintain it and uphold it. And here we are (laughs) in our world today, and we are giving up and compromising so early on because we know how far we have to fall. We know twice I've heard this argument be made to take the jab for a reason to take it. And it it's just startles my spirit to have heard it twice now that someone would say, so when, when it is revealed that someone is not going to take the jab, some other person says back to them, aren't you worried about what you'll lose if you don't? Twice I've heard that this is used as a retort, (laughs) as a reason why you should take it. And of course, if that were to be asked of me, you know, aren't you worried about what you will lose if you don't? My answer would be absolutely. Aren't you worried that we're in this position? Aren't you worried that we're in this position? Aren't you worried that for fear of losing, we're not even at the hard stuff yet, guys. 
We're not even at the hard stuff. For fear of losing money, for fear of losing a a position, for fear of losing a job, for fear of losing a, a place in college, a place in your sorority, for fear of losing status, we're already willing to give up our rights. Now, when somebody says that to me, or when someone, when I hear that someone has said that, it makes me think, you didn't want to take this. You took it because you were afraid of what you would lose if you didn't. Now, that's, I don't mean to diminish the fear. The fear is absolutely real. But we've said before, fear is not of God. God did not give us a spirit of fear. That is not a tool for discernment from God. That is a tool of the devil. That is a tool of the enemy of our souls. And we are failing this test on such a large scale. The jab is an easy one, but it's not just that. It's if you are a patriot, if you are proud of this country and you would never fly a flag for fear of what it would cost you socially to your neighbors, to your friends on social media, to your following, to your likes. If that's that, it oh, that also, oh man, we've got to be more brave in standing in our values and in our principles because we are at war right now. We are at war. The enemy is advancing. And I don't mean in the spirit, I don't mean in the natural, I mean in the spiritual. We do not fight enemies of flesh and blood, right? We are fighting in the spiritual realm and we are being overtaken. We are being overrun. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will be, it's promised. It says right there, no question about it. We will be persecuted. And in Revelation, as I'm studying it, coming to the end of chapter 6, it talks about the martyrs who cry out to God in the, the time of tribulation When will you bring judgment on the people who have hurt us, killed us, taken our, taken our lives for our faith? And it's, it's kind of a really honest picture of humanity and an honest picture of our just God that he includes this in the vision to John and says, there will come a time where the martyrs will scream from under the altar, when, Lord, will you bring your justice? It's such our, our nature, right? Our human nature. God would call us to forgiveness, and yet he also is just. And so, yes, we are to forgive. But in this picture, it's not that these martyrs are asking for God to um, get back, to seek revenge. They're asking for his perfect justice. And he promises that it will be done. He promises that it will be done. But we know that as Christians, we will be persecuted. And we're acting, we're walking in the natural in this world right now through this cultural war as if that's not promised. As if we need to save face. As if if we lose that job because we're standing on our principles God won't provide another way. <laughs> we're, are, we're leaning into faith in the natural. We're leaning into faith in what we can hold with our hands, what we can see with our eyes, what we can put our hand on. And I am victim of it as well. Like, I can't tell you how many times, even this morning, I had a conversation 
with my husband about what I know God is calling me to and what makes sense for me to be doing. And they're two very different things. <laughs> here's what God is calling me to. And here is what I know I'm supposed to be doing in the natural. And they're very different things. And how do you sort that out? I, I'm walking in it right this minute with you, you guys. And I keep deferring to the fact that I, I have to know that if I walk in obedience to what God has called me to and what God is helping me to discern and the way that I'm hearing his voice, if I walk in that path, there is provision, there is protection, and there is promise. If I continue to walk in the natural with what makes sense for, and, and I'll be honest with you, it's how do I work um, there's one path where there's not a lot of financial opportunity tied to it. And then there's one where there's, of course, abundant financial opportunity. And so in the natural, I feel called to the financial abundant opportunity so that I can provide for my family and free up my husband, who also has a calling at the exact same moment to walk into a not financially abundant calling from the Lord. So we're both being called out of our financial abundance into positions and places and jobs and careers, if you will, that have no promise of any provision, none at all currently. Or we can both stay in our current paths, which are providing great for our family. And we're both being called out of that at the same moment. They, there is no coincidence about that. And we are very aware of that. And it feels scary. It feels really scary to make a decision that does not make sense in the natural. But y'all, obedience comes before the provision. Obedience comes first and then you watch how God provides in it. So if you are someone who you are discerning, I, I do not think I'm meant to take this jab as an example of a scenario. And you are being pushed on at your workplace or by your school, or what have you, to take that jab, and your discernment alarm is going off, then I would, I would say pray over it, absolutely. But oftentimes, God's going to call you into something that doesn't make sense in the natural. And if you have no other way to provide for your family, and it makes zero sense to leave a job that's requiring that, but you know that's what God's asking you to do, then I would challenge you to trust that he's got a different plan and it's going, he's positioning you for his perfect provision. And we see this in the story of Joseph in Genesis where he's walked through, he's, all this terrible stuff is happening that looks terrible in the natural, right? Like he's sold, first he's thrown in a pit and they're going to leave him for dead. And then they decide to take him out of the pit and they sell him as a slave to Egypt, which is like the worst thing ever. Then he goes off to Egypt. Things are going okay for him, but then he's accused of adultery, which isn't true, but it doesn't matter because he's put in prison because he's oppressed in, in Egypt. He's put in prison. He starts interpreting dreams, which again is just a hint that God had a plan for him to be in that prison because <laughs> he interprets dreams. That's what got him thrown in the pit to begin with. His brother didn't like his brothers, didn't like his dream and dream interpretations. So now he's in a prison interpreting dreams and he tells the man who he interprets the dream for, when you get out of here, please remember me, tell someone that I'm in here and it's not, I didn't do it. And of course, that person gets out of prison, forgets all about Joseph, and Joseph remains in prison. This would seem in the natural like it's outside of God's provision. Nothing is outside of God's sovereignty. 
Of course, as the story goes on, he's he is the guy remembers and says, oh, Joseph, he interprets dreams. Joseph is pulled out. He interprets a dream, a dream for the Pharaoh, becomes second in command over all Egypt, just in the nick of time for a famine to fall on the land. And his very brothers who sold him into slavery, who betrayed him, his very brothers wind up in front of him, begging him for mercy, not even recognizing this man as their brother that they sold into slavery all those years ago. God is working all things together for your good. He is positioning you through all of the negative things of our natural world into a position to work for his good, work for his glory, work for his purposes, which happened to be for your good in the end. Joseph, of course, reveals himself to the brothers. It's this, he is immediately forgiving of all of their betrayal. They're absolutely just dumbstruck at the fact that Joseph would forgive them and also be in a position to lavishly provide for them. So it was a beautiful story of what the enemy and human nature means for evil, truly intend for evil, that God can flip and turn for our good. So as we look down the barrel of our rights, of our convictions, of our principles, of our values being challenged, I would encourage you to evaluate right now. Are these your values? Are these your principles? Pray over them. Use discernment. Speak with God constantly. And if they are your principles, Linwood said at the beginning of all this, whatever you think of Linwood, this struck me. We have to be people of principle, not preference. It would be my preference to be on social media. <laughs> it would be my preference. Right now, my kids are at camp and I can't watch them because the only way you can see any of their pictures is on social media. So I have to keep borrowing my husband's phone to like troll my children. It would be my preference to not have to deal with any of this nonsense. It would be my preference that there is no jab that it doesn't have to come down, right? It would be my preference that I didn't have to think about voter shenanigans happening in our last election. That would all be my preference, but I don't get my preference. But I do get to pick my principles. And I am a person truly, I cling to my principles, almost to a fault. And I would encourage you to figure out what are your values? What are your principles? What are God's demands of us? What are God's expectations of us? Because he... he makes a point of showing this picture of martyrs in under the altar, crying out and asking for justice and his promises that it's coming. I, I will exercise perfect justice on earth. I love that. So those who are faithful to Jesus can anticipate that they will suffer. That is for sure. What can we do about that? How do we navigate that? We have to be faithful to the word of God. We have to be faithful to the word of God. And to be faithful to the word of God, you have to read the word of God. You have to get into the word of God. Find a time every single day to get into the word of God, even if it's just a little bit, even if you're listening to it as you're driving, if it's YouTube, if you don't own a Bible, now's the time, you guys. This is the time to be having conversations that are challenging with your kids, no matter their age. My kids are nine, seven, and five, and we have conversations about, we might have to give this up. I tell them, you might have to give that up. You might not be able to do that. We might not be able to go there. We might not be able to travel in this way ever again, guys, but we're going to give it up gladly. 
It's not going to be taken from us because we are free in Christ and we will give it up gladly. And they understand this. We have these conversations even though they're young. More important to have it with teenagers. More important to have it with your adult children. Refocus them. Be their mentor and their coach and their guide in this time. Be brave and bold in that. In not just your children, but your peers around you, your neighbors. This is the time. Oh, I read this story that just, ugh, it just killed me a little bit. I'll have to read it to you guys on another podcast. But it was um, about walking into this room and seeing in almost like a library uh, card index, all the music you listened to, all of the things you didn't forgive, all of the moments you uh, were mean to your husband or wife, all of the times you yelled at your kids, just cataloged there for you to read through and reflect on. And then the smallest of all the files would be all the people that I shared the gospel with all the people that I remained faithful to God in front of, all the times that I did not compromise on my faith. Oh, it just made me so reflective of how much time I give to the things that will not matter after this life is done, will not matter for a second, and how little time I give, how little energy and focus I give to the the only thing that matters when this is all said and done. So we need to be faithful to the word of God. We need to speak it and and learn it and know it and internalize it and meditate on it and tell our kids about it and tell our kids about it and tell our kids about it. Be faithful in the witness that we bear. Be faithful to witness to people. Be faithful to share your testimony. In Matthew 10, Jesus tells us that to be a disciple, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross. It's not just meaning take up a heavy burden. It's not only referring to a self-denial, a humbling process, but it is meaning step into a willingness to give it all, to sacrifice it all, every worldly thing for Jesus, including up to and including our life. So if it is college admittance, if it is being in that sorority, if it is getting that job or keeping that job or limiting yourself to opportunity or no longer going there or never getting on a plane or not leaving the country again because of vaccine passports or whatever it might look like, be in a state of willingness. If it cannot be taken from you, if you are giving it up. It cannot be taken from you if you give it up. I want to read just a little bit here as we end from my book I'm reading, Live Not by Lies, A Manual for Christian Dissidents by Rob Dreyer. I've uh, mentioned this a couple of times and he talks about looking through the lens of a historical perspective and a Christian perspective as to the last time we were faced, not we America, but the world was faced with a totalitarian takeover, what that looked like and how do you maintain your family, your faith, your livelihood, your sanity in a time like that. And he says, we have to see, we have to discern, we have to judge, and we have to act. So I'm going to read here from the book. It says, a time of painful testing, even persecution is coming. Lukewarm or shallow Christians will not come through with their faith intact. 
Christians today must dig deep into the Bible and church tradition and teach themselves how and why today's post-Christian world, with its self-centeredness, its quest for happiness and rejection of sacred order and transcendent values, is a rival religion to authentic Christianity. We should also see how many of the world's values have been absorbed into Christian life and practice. Then we must judge how the ways of the world and its demands conflict with what Christ requires of his disciples. Are we admirers or are we followers? How will we know? We're about to see, right guys? We're about to see if we're followers or admirers. We will know when we act or when we fail to act as Christians, when to be faithful costs us something. It may be a small thing at first, perhaps a place on a sports team because we won't, we won't play on Sunday mornings, or the respect of our peers when we will not march in a parade for some political cause. But the demands made on us will grow greater, and the consequences for failing to submit to the world's demands will grow more severe. Father Kolakovic told his family this, and in a way he's telling us the same thing today. We serve a God who created all things for a purpose. He has shown us in the Bible, especially the Gospels, who we are and how we are to live to be in harmony with the sacred order he created. He does not want admirers. He wants followers. As Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, God suffered with humanity to redeem humanity. He calls us to share in his passion, capital P, for our sake and for the sake of the world. He promises us nothing but the cross, and that's enough, guys. Not happiness, but the joy of blessedness. Not material wealth, but richness of spirit. Not sexual freedom as erotic abandon, but sexual freedom within loving, mutually sacrificial commitment. Not power, but love. Not self-sovereignty, but obedience. This is the uncompromising rival religion that the post-Christian world will not long tolerate. If you are not rock solid in your commitment to traditional Christianity, then the world will break you. But if you are, then this is the solid rock upon which that world will be broken. And if those solid rocks are joined together, they form a wall of solidarity that is very hard for the enemy to breach. If that is not what we're looking at right now. I don't know what is. And then to end, I want to just give you some encouragement as I like to do in John 16, 33. He says, I have told you these things. This is Jesus. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace in me. You may have peace, not in your circumstances, not in your bank account, not in your job, not in your sorority, not in travel in me. You will have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Let me read that again. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. Courageous means facing and doing things you're afraid of despite and in, in presence of your fear. It says, be courageous. I have conquered the world. Victory is ours. In the end, he wins. It may cost us a lot to stay faithful but we will be on the winning side. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com.
Father God, help us to be followers and not admirers, Lord. Help us to stand in your values, in your principles, steadfastly, without wavering, without compromising. Let us be discerning. Let us hear your voice and let us know where you would have us stand. And then let us stand there. In your son's name, we ask this. Amen.